0: and verse 16 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you the title of this message is ye you are the temple of God you are the temple of God so let's begin first in the great and terrible wilderness in the desert in the days of Moses Picture yourself with those two million souls who went out into the desert. You know, this great desert generated an equally great thirst in the close to two million children of Israel. God called it the great and terrible wilderness. We we can be certain, as soon as the children of Israel embarked on this journey, the first thing that they noticed that, you know, made its presence felt strongly were probably pangs of thirst that they had never experienced before. So the first thing I want to say is this is a type and shadow teaching pointing to the great thirst the Christian should experience after repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus. Do you know why Christians leave the church when they are new? Why some never grow? They seem to live in the world because the thirst is missing. Without thirsting, brothers and sisters, we get nothing from the kingdom of God. Without faith, we cannot please God. Without thirsting, we get nothing from the kingdom of God. That's why on the great day, the last day of the feast, what did the Bible say? Jesus stood up and shouted, if any man thirst, praise God. I am convinced that our children growing up in the West will never give themselves to the Lord, appreciate the things of God, as long as they thirst more for the world than they thirst for Jesus. We should target, we should specify in our prayers, Jesus, give my children thirst for you. We can make rules. We can even punish them so that they will pray, come to church, whatever. None of it will help. The children of Israel, no matter what God did, they were not interested. They were carnal. They were fleshly. None of them were hungering and thirsting for God. Only Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Miriam, and Aaron. So you see, we need a thirst. That's why God took them out into the desert. The journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan is is a type, it's a shadow of the journey the Christian makes from salvation in the name of jesus to heaven and what does god do the first thing he wants to do is to take us into a desert of thirst i hope you are thirsting i pray you will thirst in jesus name have we stopped thirsting then we're in trouble even our lord jesus christ when he began his ministry The Bible says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And what happened after? He went out into the desert. There is a pattern here. There must be separation from all that is, you know, the the delights of this world, the pleasures of this world. God needs to send us out into a desert that makes us acutely aware of our need for Jesus. Hallelujah. Unless I see a Christian. Cry. And I come and I say. Well, what's your problem? And the Christian says. I'm hung thirsting for God. I'm thirsting for Jesus. I don't need anything. I, my soul is thirsting for Jesus. Ah. Oh, that would be. The most blessed utterance. I know that that person will make it to heaven. That person will make it to heaven. I remember when I came out from the Islam, I saw Jesus. There were times I, I it was almost like you can compare it to like a physical discomfort. It was that powerful. It's like my stomach would be knotted up and I didn't know what it was until I would separate myself from everybody and start. Crying to Jesus. Because I was so thirsty for him. Oh hallelujah. You know if, if you have never experienced what I'm saying. I, I can't explain it to you. I hope. The people of God still thirst. Like David. As a deer panted for the water. So my soul panted for thee oh God. Ah, oh, may God give us a, a raging thirst in our souls for him. For him. Praise God. There comes a time that we desperately need to drink Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else. I am not talking about a meeting or shaking somebody's hand or even opening the Bible. Just this raw, unbridled desire to drink. Have you seen a person who is about to die of thirst drink? You have to actually tell them to be careful. You give them A few sips, they'll kill themselves. But with Jesus, no, no, no. We don't need a few sips. You can drink him all you want. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, Jesus said. We need to pray for that thirst to afflict the people of God. Hallelujah. Especially our children. Because what the devil is doing is he keeps filling their program, their day, their time, their free time. With all sorts of uh, gadgets. All sorts of uh, entertainment. So that they will not discern. And listen. And obey the thirst. Hallelujah. You know. Was it uh, Sprito? Who had this uh, slogan? Obey your thirst. Yeah. We should We should take that for Jesus. Amen. That was meant for Jesus. Obey your thirst for Jesus. Obey your thirst for Jesus. Next time you see that advertisement, say that's for Jesus, my friend. Praise God. So, God took them out into a desert. Don't panic if God takes you out into a desert. That is the best place to be spiritually, where you will thirst. Ah, I need Jesus. I want Jesus. I don't want anything else. Give me Jesus, or I die. Hallelujah. So, God led them to experience this severe thirst. This is a type and shadow teaching pointing to the great thirst the Christian should experience after repentance and baptism in Jesus. Just as the first and most acute need in the great and terrible wilderness was water, receiving the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ should be the overriding concern of the Christian. Brothers, sister, this world is a great and terrible wilderness. Indeed, it is. Just look around you and see all the carcasses. How many people have died around you and are dying right now? Because they have not understood that the only way to survive and to thrive in that desert is you need the rock, Jesus Christ. You need to speak to that rock in the wilderness, in the desert. And the rock will give you of his water. Amen. Amen. When you feel depressed. When you feel life has no meaning. You are in the desert, Christian. Don't think something is wrong with you. No. It just so happens that you're in the desert. It's the environment which is the problem. You need to speak to the rock. That follows you in the desert. The rock is Christ, Paul said. He will give you of his water, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Wherever Jesus is with you, there will be water. Hallelujah. Drinking at the springs of living water. Oh, happy now am I. My soul, they satisfy. Is that old beautiful hymn. Hallelujah. Drinking at the springs of living waters—a so wonderful and bountiful supply. Amen. Wonderful and bountiful supply. Praise God. The person who wrote that song was, uh, was drinking of the rock in the desert. Hallelujah. Never think there's a problem with your environment that Jesus cannot conquer. The issue is, are you calling out to the rock? Are you talking to the rock? I need water, Jesus. This is a tricky environment, a tricky Place that I'm in. Hallelujah. So let's continue. So you see, let's turn to John chapter 4, verse 13. John 4, verse 13. We know this famous story, the encounter between our Lord Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Listen to what Jesus told this woman. He said, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Mm, Think about it. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. The waters of this world will never quench spiritual thirst. Never. We should not dare take the first step into the desert of the world without desperately seeking the holy waters of heaven, which alone can overcome the pangs of thirst In the desert of this world. Praise God. Praise Jesus. You know there was something about that woman. She looked at the well. She was praising the well. Before she called it the well of Jacob. She had invested so much. Into that well. But Jesus told her. Whosoever drinketh of this well. Shall thirst again. Doesn't matter if the name of Jacob is applied to her or the name of Paul or Peter. We need the waters that come from one source, Jesus. When is the last time you've drunk from the source of waters called Jesus? Hallelujah. And the, to her credit, the Samaritan woman looked at the waters and she knew Jesus is right. She said, give me to drink of this water. Give me to drink of this water, praise God. Until we ask the rock to give us the water, we will be miserable and die in the great and terrible wilderness. God save us, hallelujah. You know, the world is clever at marketing what they have to sell. Look at how cleverly they have, you know, taken God's water in nature and they've rebranded it into Coke and Sprite and Fanta and whatever. That's all God's water. Remove God's water and you have nothing. There. And they sell it. They have, market, They have, um, you know, monop- monopolized the water. They have um, commercialized the water. And the greatest source of water comes from Jesus and it's free, praise God hallelujah That's why, again, I don't like it when people take spiritual things and make business out of it. I was in Bricks in London once, came out of the underground station and there was a guy who gave me a, a little poster with almost like 30 products. Soap, shampoo. And all of them cost like 40, 50 pounds and above. Uh, And they basically were claiming some preacher prayed over this oil, prayed over this soap, and each one specifically could deal with, you know, X number of uh, problems. The soap could cast out particular types of demons. The shampoo was effective for mental illnesses. That's the kind of nonsense going on in some so-called churches. The water Jesus gives is free. Hallelujah. He has never charged anything for his water. Praise God. But the problem is we are paying for that which is free for no reason. Let's look at Numbers 20 verses 1 to 3. Numbers chapter 20 verses 1 to 3. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I hope I can make you thirsty for the waters of Jesus, the living water. Flow. I don't need to say flow, rivers of Jesus. They're always flowing. We need people to shout like Jesus. Amen. If any man thirst, if any woman thirst, praise God. You know, the waters of this world are getting so much advertisement, but how much is the water of God? How much advertisement does it get? How many people are preaching? Marketing? No, I shouldn't use the word marketing, but Making people aware of this water of God. That's what I'm trying to do today in Jesus' name. Numbers 20 verses 1 to 3. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there. When the Bible says desert of Zin or Sin, it's not speaking about Sin. Zin or Sin. And I think somebody would want to hear me carefully now, is actually the name, one of the names of Baal. And in the area of Saudi Arabia, the desert of Saudi Arabia, because I am convinced, as are many other Bible scholars, that that is where the great and terrible wilderness was. Contrary to what many people think today, the peninsula of Sinai at the peninsula of Sinai. That is not the great and terrible wilderness. That place is filled with mountains and uh, it's it's not the same as the desert that you find in Saudi Arabia. And there's a lot of uh, evidence turning up there. The Saudis have always known that Moses and the children of Israel, ask any Muslim, they'll tell you Moses and the children of Israel were in Saudi Arabia. That's where they were. So, and there's a lot of evidence found there, but this is not the time to talk about this, but You see, Zdin, this will surprise you, was one of the names of Baal. And he was represented when they found his statues. Guess how he was uh, depicted. He was depicted in a seated position with the new moon basically carved into his chest. New moon. What is the symbol of Islam today? It is the new moon. I mean, it's, it's a lunar uh, religion. It's, it's basically governed by the moon. So it's interesting that it's called the Desert of Zin. That was its territory. Whose territory? Baal. And what is the symbol of Baal? Among Saudis, it was called Baal Zephon in Saudi Arabia. Before the advent of Islam, they used to worship Baal in different forms, he had different names in fact, in the Kaaba where you have 360 gods uh, the main god was even called Allah, but before that he was called Hubal Hubal, notice Baal was in the name so, we shouldn't be surprised that Baal was a god of the crescent, if you will, the Middle East and uh, his symbol was a new moon So uh, you may ask me, what are you suggesting? I'm suggesting that there is a connection there. I'm not the first to say it. I'm I'm not an archaeologist, but there are several archaeologists who say that uh, uh, this old religion of the lunar uh, worship, uh, because it's all governed by the moon, the phases of the moon, has basically continued into uh islam so i know that sounds will be offensive to those who are muslims but i'm not saying it to vilify or i think there's there should be room for something called uh critique of religion i'm open for somebody to come with such similar statements about christianity we can have a discussion but that's where my opinion is that uh because there are many aspects of islam that can be traced back to the religion of Baal. so but let's continue that's not my topic that's uh A little extra bonus, praise God. But verse 2, there was no water for the congregation. No water for the congregation. Imagine no water for the church. What a tragedy. Imagine. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. The children of Israel actually did well in demanding water. They did well. There are churches today that don't have spiritual water and they don't trouble their, their leaders. They don't trouble their Moses. When a church notices that there's no water, there's no spirit of God bubbling up in our church, there's the, the Holy Ghost is not falling, people are not speaking in tongues, you should go and chide with Moses. You should trouble the leadership. So far, so good. It was the will of God. Amen. But the mistake they made was they were accusing Moses and Aaron and God of actually having evil intentions towards them. Now that that is where they crossed the line. Jesus wants us to pester him with prayers and requests for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But we should never doubt his good intentions to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So he who comes to God must believe that God is and that he's a reward of them who diligently seek him. In the book of Luke chapter 11, verses 11, 11, 12, and 13, the gospel of Luke chapter 11, verses 11, 12, and 13, the Bible says, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Amen. Isn't it interesting that they were fighting for water? But they accused God of evil intention. But Jesus is now saying in the Gospel of Luke that we should never think that God will give us something evil, especially if we are looking for the Holy Ghost. Amen. So if there's anyone here, you haven't received the Holy Ghost, I want you to know there is nothing That God wants to do more for you in this life, in this world, than to fill you with the Spirit. Praise God. Nothing more. This is the gift of God. This was the gift that God wanted desperately till today to give us. Praise God. This is, you know, all other gifts we ask God for. We say, Lord, give me this, give me that. But there is one gift that God Himself has declared that He wants to give us. He's determined to give us. And that is the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. There is no greater gift than that. Jesus should know He is our Father. If tomorrow I give my children gifts that I know will, will harm them, actually will not benefit them in the long run how many gifts have we given to our children that basically bring sh- very short-term pleasure or delight i mean most of the gifts we give especially the christmas gifts yeah? <laughs> we know that they're not going to last even perhaps to next christmas but we still keep giving these meaningless gifts. I shouldn't say meaningless. Maybe you know they mean something for the children. But can you compare any of those things to the Holy Ghost? Oh praise God! I wish this Christmas we will find some of our children. If you are among those who use Christmas gift, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Christmas trees, whatever. I don't judge anybody, but. Uh, may, may, God, may we find your children wrapped up with the gift of the Holy Ghost under the Christmas tree. Can we agree about that? In Jesus' name. Lord, Amen. fill my child with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Wrap my child up with the Holy Ghost this Christmas in Jesus' name. That's the best gift I would want. Amen. Imagine seeing your child rolling under the Christmas tree, speaking in tongues, crying. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, praise Jesus. There is no gift like that gift Jesus. If Christmas is about Jesus, that's what it should be about. Amen. It should be about receiving the gift of God. We give gifts to each other. But Jesus wants to gift us with himself. Hallelujah. May your Christmas be about this, this Christmas in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, as the children of Israel children with Moses... Let us chide with the Lord to receive the Holy Spirit. We too, who have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, ought to never be satisfied, but continue to bother the Lord for more of his living water. I'm speaking not only to those who don't have the Holy Ghost. If you have the Holy Ghost, when is the last time Jesus filled you until your cup was flowing over? Oh, praise God. When was the last time? I pray This Christmas, we're entering the Christmas season. May God pour out during the whole season, every day, until your cup is flowing over. Hallelujah. Did you know that, God, that there are measures of infilling of the Holy Spirit? In the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 34, John, chapter 3 and verse 34, the Bible says, For he whom God had sent, Speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Praise God. For he whom God hath sent, speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure. Trust me, there's no, there are measures in Christ. It's like filling a dam, yeah? Or a flood waters. You know, there are these notches. There are these markings. There are markings in us, brothers and sisters. We need to have, you know, flood level warnings. Amen. Praise God. May our cup flow over sometimes. Until we can't bear more and we say to God, enough, enough. I'm exploding. Praise God. Hallelujah. So once we understand the importance of seeking and receiving the Holy Spirit, we must equally emphasize the importance of the principle of the body as the temple of God. Amen. So, so far, I've only talked about the need to hunger, to thirst for the Spirit of God. You see, we cannot just pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit when they they don't even understand what happens to them when they get the Holy Spirit. Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes you the temple of God. Amen. Can you imagine that? I mean, you need, one needs to go to Israel and talk to the Jews to understand the importance of the temple of God. The temple of God is everything to the Jews. I mean, they have a day where they, that is actually reserved in Israel to cry, to moan for the loss of the temple. So, tishba'av is what they call it, in fact. So, For the Jews to actually have lost, and I'm just Googling now, Tisha tisha B'Av. It will be this year. It was already July 26 and 27. Tisha B'Av. So imagine the Jews have a day reserved in their calendar where they uh, cry. I can put it in the chat text here so you can see it. You can Google it. They have a day, they moan, they weep, they cry for the loss of the temple. We are the temple of God. Do you know what that means? Oh, hallelujah, We need to talk about this. Firstly, if a person does not thirst and hunger, then you cannot be the temple of God. you you shouldn't look for the temple look to be the temple of God if you don't know the meaning and the value of the temple of God. But remember, we started the sermon today with the scripture, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Let's repeat it again. Let's look at it again. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? This is a rhetorical question. It's like the Apostle Paul is shocked at the behavior of the Corinthians. He can't believe it what don't you know I mean why did you get the Holy Ghost is what he's saying so let's talk about you see the Corinthian Christians did not appear to have this knowledge they lived carelessly and continued to some degree to live as if they as they used to do before they received the Holy Ghost we know that because right from the beginning we read the Apostle Paul is always correcting them. He mentions their sins from division. Then he talks about a man having his mother, his father's uh, wife. Then he talks about some of them who would come for the Lord's supper uh, and would dishonor the Lord's supper. We can read that from First Corinthians chapter eleven, verses twenty-nine to thirty. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 to 30. The Bible says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. This is shocking, the behavior of the church of Corinth. When you compare, I mean, it's not wise to do so, but just Quickly, think about the, the 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 sins mentioned about the different churches: the the Romans, the Ephesians, the Galatians, etc. Just, just for instance, take the Galatians. The main problem of the church of Galatia was they were enticed by the Judeas. They were basically flirting with these, um, you know. People who came from Jerusalem, Christians, and were telling them to be circumcised to keep the law of Moses—that's a whole different order of sin, if you if you will. It's a different order of problems. But the Church of Corinth, <laughs> um, sorry to say, it's like uh, you know modern behavior. Uh, you know, there are some channels that now don't even wait till past what eight, nine, and they They shown people's naked bodies, and you know things which should shock everyone they, they, these things should be forbidden, but who who worries about these things? Nobody even thinks about it. It's like, ah yeah, it's been going on for a long time. I asked somebody at the job, what is this program? They said, oh, you mean naked naked something naked whatever and I said yeah the the title itself is that. Is that something you would watch with your children? Or would you watch it all? This is like a marketplace of flesh. I mean, in the old days, they would only do that to slaves that they were going to sell on auction blocks. But now this is the auction blocks. Everything is voluntary of pleasure. This is still the meat market. Feast your eyes and corrupt your soul. So Understand the times we're living. And the church of Corinth seemed to still continue with these things. And nobody, even Paul was troubling the church. He said, none of you seem to be worried about this. What? I'm going to deliver this person up to Satan, he said. Wow. So, we have to understand that such a church, in the eyes of the Apostle Paul, could never be the temple of God. He warned them, God will kill all of you. He says, those of you who dishonored the Lord's Supper, you will die, he said. So the things of God are holy. The things of God, if we are making a mockery of it in public, openly, just living in sin, and we are supposed to be having the Holy Ghost, I'm afraid it won't be long. I won't be surprised. I'm not saying it has a threat. But I won't be surprised if such a person suddenly dies suddenly or, you know, weird freak accident falls off some place and something falls on his head or whatever. God forbid, but God will kill such a person. Paul said it. Even he told them, some of you have gone to sleep. That means they came for the Lord's Supper. They were just eating it like it's, uh, you know, you're sampling some food in the supermarket and God killed them. God have mercy. We live in a very unholy world. It is our job, brothers and sisters, to remind each other God is still holy. Doesn't matter what the world is doing. By definition, the adjective is holy. Say, holy spirit. Amen. The spirit of God is holy. We can see it. If an unclean spirit comes into somebody, they behave in an unclean way. Don't be surprised that they will use profanities, they will speak dirty things. They will enjoy bad things. Because there is an unclean spirit. But if the spirit of Jesus Christ is in you. We should see that. Your behavior is holy. That you don't like bad things. And evil things. Praise God. Because Jesus does, does not do these things. The spirit of God in you will lead you to holy things. Amen. So. We The command still applies. Be you holy, for he is holy. Amen. If we love him, be holy. If you love him, be holy, because he is holy. But if you don't love him, of course, why be holy? But I will be holy. I will repent. I will keep coming back to pray on my knees. I will keep humbling myself before him. I will fall prostrate before him. I will beg him for mercy because I love him. Because I know through 36 years of experience walking with him, coming from a Muslim background, that indeed he is good and his mercy endures forever. I don't need Asaph and David to tell me, God bless them, that's their testimony. But I myself am convinced I have drunk from his fountain. I have walked in intimacy with him. I can tell you he is good. If there is one relationship I don't want to jeopardize or dilute or offend, it is my relationship with Jesus. Amen. Praise God. All other relationships are expendable, but I will do my best to maintain them. Praise God. So I hope you love Jesus enough to value your relationship with him and to say, because I love him. I'm, I'm not touching, avoiding evil things, be it drugs or alcohol or maligning somebody unnecessarily, whatever. Sin is many things because of an image that I have or because people will hear it and my name will be ruined or whatever. No. Do it because Jesus is not that way. Because you value your relationship with Jesus more than with anyone else or anything else. Why will I let a bottle come between me and Jesus? Why will I let grass? I call it just, you know, goats chewing grass. That's what cannabis is for me. Uh, Why will I let that come in between between my relationship between Jesus and me? Why will I let cigarettes? Why will I let uh, sexual uh, illicit relationships come between me and Jesus? I must fight. I must fight in Jesus' name. I must defeat these forces in the name of Jesus. And Jesus will be with you. Hallelujah. I'm not saying this to condemn anybody. I know how the world is. We know the nature of temptation. All that Jesus is asking you to do. Somebody told me I'm addicted to this. I said, listen. It's not that you're addicted to something. The issue is this. Do you love Jesus more than your addiction? Amen. Do you love Jesus more than everything? If you can really say yes, trust me. Enter the battle. It will be like the battle between the house of King Saul and the house of David. You know, it took a long time. It took a long time. But the Bible says the house of David became stronger. And one day, Saul was found dead upon his own sword. The sword with which he wanted to kill David. One day your addiction will be found dead. In Jesus name. I'm telling you. Just keep fighting. Keep going to church. Keep praying. And one day you will see. You will say, somebody will come with the news. The Philistines have killed Saul. One day you'll get the news. The Philistines have killed your addiction. In Jesus name. God will kill your addiction. In Jesus name. Ah, and suddenly you say, well, where did that addiction go? You know where it went? The addiction got tired. The addiction said, I'm tired of going to church. I'm tired of this sister dragging me to conferences where these people do nothing else, but from morning to night, they're jumping, worshiping Jesus, saying, amen, hallelujah. I am tired of that. Make your addiction get tired, amen. Make your addiction scream, And one day you say, what happened, addiction? Aren't we going to the house of God? I'm fed up. I'm going to find me a new temple to live in. Oh, hallelujah. This is how you defeat addiction in Jesus. If you are filled with the Holy Ghost and addiction is still troubling you, hang on. Just hang on. Continue, continue to do what God told you to do. One day you will look around and you'll say, where where is that troublesome companion? Where is that King Saul who was chasing me wherever I go in the mountains of Engedi? How? Where is? Hallelujah. And then you will take your tambourine and dance like Miriam. Because God will bury your addiction in the Red Sea in Jesus' name. Praise God. Don't give up. If you see a Christian with addiction, don't judge them. Just tell them, keep fighting in Jesus' name. We are with you, to fight with you. Praise God. We will defeat this. Let me tell you, no addiction has permission to enter heaven in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. (laughs) I read about one Christian who said, the good thing when I'm going to die is this addiction will leave me finally. I wanted to tell him, no, no, you should defeat it before you go to heaven in Jesus' name. Praise God. So, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Now I'm not what addiction I'm speaking. I'm speaking about the person who really loves Jesus and finds, ah, there is a weakness in my life. Lord, three times you shout, remove this thorn in the flesh. I don't want it. And trust me, God will not judge you. God will have pity on you. He will help you, but you need to walk with God. Amen. Many times. God will remove addiction like this. But sometimes there is still something lingering. You know why? He wants you to become battle-hardened. He wants you to fight. Amen. He wants you to exercise your spiritual muscles. Amen. Jesus is the conqueror. But Jesus wants you to also be able to say, With Jesus, say with me, With Jesus I fought. Do you go into a battle and you just allow your leader to win all the battle and your job is to ride with him and when he comes victorious, he says, oh, what a great battle we fought. And I don't see any blood on you. I don't see any cuts on you. I don't see any bruises on you. Uh, Sorry, that's not your victory. Jesus can destroy all your addictions in one second. But he wants you to also fight and to be proud. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise Jesus. You know, the story is told about an ant. A fable that, you know, the elephant was, there was an elephant about to cross a bridge. So the ant basically hitched a ride onto the elephant and the, the ant went in the ear of the elephant. So when the elephant was crossing this bridge that could tolerate its weight, Suddenly the bridge began to sway, began to shake. But the the elephant continued. And when the elephant came on the other side, you know what the ant told the elephant? He said, elephant, elephant, did we not shake the bridge? (laughs) Praise God. Jesus is the spiritual elephant, so to speak. We are the ants. We just ride on Jesus. And on the other side, Jesus will say, did we not shake the bridge? Did we not defeat these enemies of yours? Didn't we destroy this addiction? See how kind and merciful Jesus is. You know, I, 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 I laugh whenever I, I read that I'm going to be coming with Jesus as the armies of heaven. What? Me? Army with Jesus? Jesus doesn't need an army. When he returns with a white horse. You know, we are the army of decoration. This battle is over before it begins. There, there's no battle. From his mouth, Jesus will shoot his word. Bang. The, I mean, there's no nuclear force like the word of God. With one word, he made the universe. With one word, he will destroy the antichrist. And so you'll say, but so what is our job? Are we going to have some AK 47s in heaven coming with him, the armies of some special swords? We have nothing. We have Jesus. Jesus is our battle. Jesus is our everything. But he allows us to ride with him. Wow, what a day that will be when we can say, I rode with Jesus. There's some people who are boasting from the dust saying, I rode with Alexander. I rode with genghis Khan. I rode with uh, General Allenby. I rode with General uh, MacArthur, Dwight Eisenhower, whatever. your great heroes of the Second World War. I rode with... Uh, you know at El Alamein with the uh, with uh, what's his name? Uh, not Montgomery, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We want to say, "I rode with Jesus." Amen. Praise God when He returns. So let's continue. We we are talking about the temple of God, and I, in that connection, I digressed a bit, but nevertheless, it's not really a digression. I'm trying to, because there's some Christians whose conscience afflicts them. But I still carry some addiction problems. Keep fighting. Amen. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. One day you will defeat it in Jesus' name with Jesus' help. So let's continue. Let's understand the doctrine of the body as the temple of God. You see, once again, we need to begin in the great and terrible wilderness. In Exodus 25, verse 8, 8, the Bible says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Please listen carefully. It was God who desired to live among us. Amen. It was not Moses or or Noah or anybody who told God, "Could you please dwell among us?" It is Him who took the initiative. The sanctuary is in really in reality you and I. Can you say, "I am the sanctuary of God"? Because. What did God tell David? He said uh, he doesn't dwell in buildings. When God said, let them make me a sanctuary. He's speaking about us. Know you not that you are the temple of the living God. God has from the beginning wanted to dwell in in his people. What an honor. What an honor. Note carefully that God made this declaration in this great and terrible wilderness. We cannot expect to overcome this great and terrible wilderness of this world... Without becoming the sanctuaries of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know how to make it to the other side, to heaven? Become the sanctuary of God. You see, the moment the Holy Spirit of the Lord tabernacles in us, we are guaranteed a place in heaven. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit does many things. But one of the first thing it does is it puts a seal on us that we now have. A place reserved in heaven. Praise God. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Unto the praise of his glory. Praise God. The Greek word for earnest. Is Arabon. Arabon. According to James Strong's lexicon. Means. And I quote. Money. Which in purchases. Is given as a pledge. Or down payment. That the full amount will subsequently be paid. Wow. Can we shout hallelujah. Let me give you, break it down for you with a concrete example. Uh, I live in Norway, and in Norway, the current deposit, if you wish to approach the the bank for a loan uh, for a property, is fifteen percent of the cost of the property. One five. This means, once you give that down payment you already own 15% of the property, so to speak. Amen? In the same way, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can say this is proof that we already own a certain percentage of the inheritance of the Lord promised in heaven. Wow, imagine that. <laughs> in other words, Jesus was will saying will to us, you know, it's like somebody saying, uh, when I die, how can I be sure I'm going to heaven? Uh, will heaven receive me? Am I? Listen. Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Then know that you actually have a down payment in heaven. Praise God. You have a down payment. You can actually walk in there and say, oh, praise God. Lord, where is my property? Because you fill me with the Holy Ghost on the earth. And that, to me, I've understood the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians 1 verse 13 to Arhabon. Is down payment. So already at that time you gave me a down payment. I paid the down payment when I got the Holy Ghost. You gave it to me free. This is the contract, Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth. Somebody say the truth. He doesn't lie. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you have property in heaven. Why are you so worried about your property on the earth? You know, when I bought a house in Norway, I just prayed one prayer to the Lord. I said, Lord, uh, I've owned houses before, uh, but it's not the same as enjoying the house. (laughs) So please, if you give me a house, uh, give me this house, allow me to enjoy this house uh, for some years, because this world is not my home. I have a house in heaven. So I'm fed up of renting a place. I don't want to be a victim of the uh, loan, you know, the housing uh, shocks. <laughs> uh, give me a house to worship you, to live for you, and allow me to uh, live there, enjoy it until. And I can tell you, almost seven years have gone where I live. I have never spent so many hours in a house as I have now. The same house from which I'm preaching to. you. In fact, uh, I don't want to say anything more. People will become jealous. Uh, <laughs> praise. I enjoy the house. I live here and I'm telling you there are people who may buy a property but they never see the property. They're working so much. They have to travel so much. Then they divorce and then the house is divided. Let me tell you, just to get a house is not a blessing. You have to pray that God will allow you to enjoy that house. Every good gift comes from above. Let me tell you, when you get the Holy Ghost, there is property you have in heaven. And God assures you. You will enjoy your property in heaven. Amen. You, will, you have a mansion in heaven. Praise God. God told the children of Israel. If they are faithful. They will enjoy property in the land of Canaan. Every man and woman will dwell, dwell safely. Under their own fig tree. They will have their own house. God kept his promise. You know what the problem was. These people who never owned a home. They used to work as slaves from morning to night. They had mud houses dwellings just to sleep in. They and their so-called flimsy houses were the property of Pharaoh. Let me tell you, when God gives you a house, rest assured you will enjoy that mansion. Praise God. He would give, he's giving us property. Praise God. God is not a communist. Hallelujah. I should maybe put that in there. <laughs> Praise God. So, God has given you a property when you are filled with the Holy Ghost. We should walk around a bit more proudly and say, you may, you may own the whole of Manhattan. You may own your uh, Monaco's and whatever, a prime property here and there. I own a property that no one else owns in this world. Unique property. Praise God. Who is your estate agent? His name is Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. How can I get that property? Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then you shall have a property in heaven. Praise God. Let's continue. John 14, 1 to 3. John 14 verses 1 to 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me and my father's house. Somebody said, my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know why Jesus is not finished building the houses? Because people are still being saved. People are still being filled with the Holy Ghost. So right now, Jesus is building a new house for that new person who repented, that new person who's filled with the Holy Ghost. Right now, somebody, that's why we rejoice when somebody's baptized in Jesus. Somebody gets the Holy Ghost. Angels rejoice. A new name is written in the mansion in heaven. A new name. So the work of building is continuous. Somebody say, Jesus is building continuously. <laughs> continuously. Praise God. Right now, new, new mansions are being built. Praise God. Hallelujah. Don't lose your mansion, praise God. God has given you a mansion, praise God. Don't lose it. All you need to do is row that boat, amen, your salvation safely into the harbor that is heaven, praise God. Let's continue with the tabernacle. The tabernacle was where the people of God congregated in the desert. Say with me, tabernacle is to congregate. If there's no people coming around the tabernacle, what kind of tabernacle is that? People are supposed to gather around us. Say with me, I'm the tabernacle of God. Remember the title of this message? Know you not that you are the temple of God? If you are the temple of God, people should be gathering around you. Amen? Not because we are special, but because the spirit of Jesus who dwells in us will attract them to him. Are you surprised that people are coming around you? To listen to you. Witnessing. They come around you. To talk to you. They feel good. That is the purpose of the temple. That is the purpose of the tabernacle. Amen. God did not fill us with the Holy Ghost. So that we become Catholic monks. And go off into some remote. Monastery somewhere. What? God didn't call us. To isolate ourselves so that only scorpions and snakes will gather around us in some nondescript desert somewhere. No. We are supposed to be where people are. Say we are made for people. We are saved for people. Amen. Somebody says I don't like those people. That's the whole problem. That's why we had a problem recently. You can't speak like this. You don't decide who, who will be in the family of God. You are a sanctuary. Amen. You are supposed to be there where the people of God will gather. Amen. Praise God. So the tabernacle was the place the spiritual needs of the children of Israel were met. When you become the tabernacle, don't isolate yourself. Jesus will bring people now who have needs to you. Your job as a sanctuary is to minister to them. Let Jesus minister through you. Some people need forgiveness. Some people need peace. Some people need the word of God. Some people need demons to be cast out. Some people need to be comforted. Some people need to lift up their hands and glorify Jesus. Amen. All these things is the job. All these things will be met when you come to the house of God, the tabernacle. We are the living, breathing, mobile uh, tabernacles of God? So understand why you became the tabernacle of God. We cannot choose where we will go, we, when, how long we will isolate ourselves. Praise God. So when people are attracted to us through the grace that operates in us, they should find peace, forgiveness, comfort, all these things. They should. We should give counsel. We started today with me giving counsel about how to address the issue in the Middle East, which uh, can cause problems. People are dying for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, saying the wrong thing, carrying the wrong thing. We need wisdom. Wisdom is precious. Jesus is not only called the everlasting father, he's also called the counselor. Amen. So if you get good advice, counsel. You will build a good life on this earth. Let me tell you, having a good life on this earth does not come by accident. It needs wisdom. And God is the God of wisdom. Amen. Because life consists of a million crossroads and a million ways to make wrong decisions. So we need Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. Acknowledge him in all thy ways and he shall direct thy paths. Praise God. Let's continue. I want to go soon towards the conclusion, but listen. Just as the children of Israel would leave the tabernacle in the wilderness with spiritual satisfaction, people who come to the spirit-filled Christian ought to leave with immense blessings. Hallelujah. You are the sanctuary of God. I am the temple of God, the sanctuary of God. We have a role to play. How do people come to us and how do they leave us? Amen. Remember the temple in the Old Testament? I mean, people who travel from Dan to Beersheba, from Dan and Beersheba to to Jerusalem, carrying bulls, sheep, pigeons, doves, can you imagine today going to the house of God with a with a bull? Imagine after you know call some company and ask them, okay, can, you know, I need to sacrifice in the house of God. Could you please bring the your trailer or whatever? And um and everybody would know the nature of your sin. Yeah. It was not, it was not something subtle in those days. You couldn't be discreet about your sin. It was quite evident from the kind of you meet somebody, you see somebody walking with, a, you know, maybe a, a, a lamb going to the house of God. You know that the person is you know, most probably in this kind of sin. You know, today we have it a lot easier. All we need to do, praise God, is come to the house of God and say, forgive me, wash me with your blood, Jesus. You paid the price. Doesn't matter the nature of my sin. The blood of Jesus is all encompassing. It is sufficient for every um, stripe or every kind of sin. Praise God. Amen. God is good to us. He made it simple for us. But strangely, some people don't want that. They want bulls. They want oxen. They want sheep. Wow. They love the hard way. They love God to burden them. Not we. We are happy with the blood of Jesus. Acts 20, 28, feed the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We are happy with the blood of God. Because the blood of goats and bulls can never take away the sins of the world. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The book of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is what happens when we become the sanctuaries of God. This is what happened. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Praise God. May may there always be people gathered around us, some inquiring about the identity of Jesus, others confessing their sins, and yet others glorifying God, etc. What purpose is a tabernacle with no congregants? God does not dwell in a sanctuary alone in the desert for no reason. In fact, God asked Elijah what he was doing in Mount Horeb because there was no one there to minister to. Jesus came to minister and to seek and save that which was lost. He did not come to dwell in majestic isolation as some monks and some nuns do. He didn't come to live in some secluded monastery in some inaccessible landscape somewhere. Jesus always dwelt among his people. He was always found in the in the in the thick of action. When I see when I went to Galilee, and in my mind's eye, wherever I went, I just could see Jesus thronged by the multitudes. You know, Jesus sacrificed many things for us. And one of the things he sacrificed is a private life. There was no such thing as a private life The people never allowed him to have such... That's why he had to go wake up, you know, stay awake the whole night and go into some mountain somewhere and pray. God gave his kindness. The tabernacle was clearly visible for everyone to see. I pray that we are, we who are spirit-filled Christians will always be visible for the people of God And the lost and the dying. I hope the world does not have to put out an ad in the newspaper, desperately seeking a spirit-filled Christian. We shouldn't be like these UFOs, eh? like you know, everybody seems to see them, but nobody is able to give us any evidence of these things. But either way, uh, we 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 are supposed to be accessible. The tabernacle was not hidden somewhere. The temple was definitely not hidden. Everybody knew where the temple is. Everybody should know where the Christian is. Hallelujah. The last thing I want to talk about. is The tabernacle was constantly on the move in the desert. That was the original plan of God. Remember, it was not David. It was, it was not God. It was David who desired to build God a permanent, immovable temple. It was not God. God asked for a tabernacle which was not stationary. It was on the move. That was the original plan of the tabernacle. Thanks of God. We are the tabernacles of God. We must be flexible. We must be on the move. We must be mobile. God's nomad. Say with me, I'm I'm God's nomad. A nomad for God. The moment you're filled with the Holy Ghost, I've seen something happens. People who are filled with the Holy Ghost are people who are on the move. How blessed are the feet of them who preach the gospel. Something about the gospel and moving. Hallelujah. When the, an evil spirit comes into somebody, the evil spirit wants you to stay somewhere in the graves. Remember the man from Gerasa, The guy with the legion demons. That's what demons do. They will bind you somewhere. They don't want you to move anywhere. But when Jesus comes, he he breaks all those chains and he will tell you to go left, right, north, south, east, west. Praise God. Some of us have traveled halfway around the world for the sake of the name of Jesus. Countries that sometimes when I'm sitting and preparing messages. It amazes me. I shake my head and say, what? What was I doing in a country like Egypt as a former Muslim? It's amazing. People warn me, be careful, it's dangerous. Well, I've been there, I've come back in Jesus' name. Been to a place like Nepal. Turkey. Wow, why? Not for sightseeing. For the sake of Jesus. Amen. Jesus makes you move. We are the tabernacles of God. Hallelujah. Wherever we go, blessings will follow. Amen. God will take care of his tabernacle. We need to just move. Hallelujah. The journey must constantly progress towards the land of Canaan, which is a type of heaven. The tabernacle moved when the lessons in that place and time were learned. This is the last point I want to raise. Listen, when the tabernacle moved, God was the one who first moved. Then the children of Israel moved the tabernacle with God. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. You know what the meaning of this is? God determines how long we should be in a place. It was God who took them to fight the Amalekites in Rephidim. When that lesson was over, God took them on to another place. Before that, they were at Mara, where the water was bitter. They complained. They chided, chosen Moses. You see, God takes us in this journey from this earth to heaven. He moves, he will take us to the places where we should go. He will determine. What lessons are to be learned wherever we go? Maybe it's time for Mara. Maybe it's time for the rock incident and in the water. Maybe it's time to fight Amalekite Amalek. So let God take us where He needs to take us. Don't worry if Amalek is troubling you. God brought you this way. God is leading you. Let's read the book of Numbers, chapter 9, verses 18 and 19 numbers 9 18 and 19 numbers 9 18 and 19 says at the commandment of the lord the children of israel journeyed and at the commandment of the lord they pitched as long as the cloud abode above upon the tabernacle they rested in their tents and when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days then the children of israel kept the charge of the lord and journeyed not amen You see, we need to be patient until the Lord completes the work in the place where he has put you. Some of you may be at Rephidim. Some of you may be at Mara. Some of you may be at Elim. I don't know where you may be. Some of you may be crossing, about to cross the River Jordan. You've gone ahead of us. The Lord is about to take you. I don't know where you are in the journey. But I know one thing. The Lord... Is leading you. If you are spiritually, If you are obeying. The word of God. Don't worry. No matter what happens. Like Joshua and Caleb. You will survive everything. You will enter that land. You see the mana stopped the day. The same day they entered. The land of Canaan, And I'm sure from that day. Their clothes and their shoes. Would be subjected to the normal processes of age. And decay etc. But one thing never changed. They entered the land with the tabernacle. And the Shekinah glory of God. Amen. That tells us. God didn't say throw away the tabernacle. You don't need it now. No. You enter the land as a tabernacle. We are the tabernacle of God. This tabernacle has been in Rephidim. In Mara, Has fought Og. The king of Bashan. Has Fought many wars, seen many things. But now, soon, anytime now, this tabernacle will be crossing the river Jordan. Praise God. You see, when the Bible says the river Jordan stopped for the tabernacle, in the same way, death cannot stop us. Death will move aside because we have eternal life. And death will say, this person cannot be stopped. The waters must stop. Nature, the course of nature will stop for the Christian and let you go by. Just like the traffic police stop. The, you know, the traffic lights mean nothing. When a prime minister or president or king comes to town, what happens? Everything. I remember when Obama came here to Oslo to receive the Nobel Prize. You remember that day? (laughs) The whole of Norway was, I mean, the whole of Oslo was in a lockdown. I mean, not far from my house, they play, placed, uh, what do they call them? These anti-missile batteries or whatever. they. I mean, it, it was like uh, Third World War here. I mean, the whole of the military was out enforced. Uh Traffic lights mean nothing. They covered the traffic lights. Snipers everywhere. Air Force 1, one lands at Gardamun Airport, 10 minutes from where I am. Every news channel is only focused on President Obama. And every move he makes and everything, every gesture. I mean, traffic lights meant nothing. Everything stopped. When the Christian leaves this world, death has no power. Amen. Death will stop everything, salute you and say, this way, sir, praise God. Green lights for you. Straight into heaven. Amen. If we believe in Jesus, we pass from death to eternal life. Amen. Hallelujah. The rules of death do not apply to us. We've crossed over this Jordan. Hallelujah. So, the Bible tells us we too will overcome this world and the glory of Jesus that dwells in us will take us to heaven. Listen, the spirit of Jesus is in us to take us to heaven. Because it, it's, we already have a down payment in him. But let's read Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Romans 8 verse 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Wow. We need the Holy Ghost. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Praise God. Notice it's called the Spirit of Christ. We didn't get a third member of the Holy Ghost. There is no Trinity. There is only one God. The Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. We do not get two spirits. Look at Romans 8 verse verse 9. It's crystal clear. Understand that the Lord promised to pour out of his Spirit upon all flesh in the last days. Let me tell you, I know we are in the last days. You know how? Because we cannot be caught up to heaven without the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus is going to fill out. He already started to fill it out in these last days, beginning at Azusa Street, Los Angeles, and it's spread all across the world. Amen. The generation that received the Holy Ghost at Azusa Street passed away, their children passed away. Now it's the third generation. Joel 2, 28, 29 is being fulfilled in front of our eyes. You know why? Because when Jesus comes to rapture the church, there will be many people who will go to be with him because he will fill with the Holy Ghost before he will come down like a giant magnet. And we who have the Holy Ghost will be like little pieces of iron from all over the world. We will shoot up to meet him in the air. But Joel two twenty eight and 29 says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. Why? Because the time has come for Jesus to return. And as Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his." Be sure of one thing. Before Jesus comes, there will be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost And because it's the last chance, the last chance for people, amen, so to speak, to to buy their tickets, if you will. Amen. This is the last call, praise God, of the station master. This train is heading forever. Amen. Never to return again to heaven, praise God. So clearly, I want to say in conclusion, the time of the catching away of the bride is drawing nearer. It is imminent each soul filled with the Holy Spirit is a testament to this truth. Our job is to proclaim loud and clear that everyone can become the temple of the Holy God, Holy Spirit, Holy Jesus. Stay thirsty for the Holy Spirit. Let people gather around you so they can be ministered to. Do not stay stationary, but arise with the Spirit of the Lord. Keep moving towards heaven. I want to... And with the question Paul asked the Church of Corinth. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Let us all respond with a resounding, yes, we do. And we say that, yes, we do. Say, yes, we do, Paul. Yes, we do, Apostle Paul. Jesus, bless you. Why don't we pray together in conclusion? Lord Jesus, we thank you. The words of your apostle thunders through the pages of the mind confronts us once again in in these last days when he asks us the question, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Yes, we know. We ask for mercy for having defiled your temple. We ask Jesus. We even ask for mercy if we did not reverence your temple as we should. We've not treated this temple appropriately with the appropriate respect that it deserves. My God, I thank you for this, your word which came, this knowledge from your, the pages of your, of your holy book. I pray you revive this knowledge in a time where ungodliness flourishes and people are becoming numb to sin. The forces of evil flourish. And soon people don't know the difference between right and wrong. And you warn in the book of Isaiah, woe to him who, who calls good evil and evil good. We ask you to sensitize our consciences once again. I pray that you will revive our consciences. Help us to make a distinction between good and evil. Help us to know how to take care of these, the temple that is our bodies today. So we do not grieve your Holy Ghost. We do not offend your spirit. Jesus, have mercy. I pray for those who don't have the Holy Ghost. Maybe somebody who's here today. There could be somebody even next month or in five years or ten years who hears this audio recording. Maybe sitting in their car somewhere. Fill them with the Holy Ghost right now in Jesus' name. For you're a God who's not limited. While Peter spake, yet spake, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. Nobody is dependent on your ministers saying this or that or laying hands, etc. You can give the Holy Ghost right now as I pray. In the name of Jesus, let somebody exercise faith and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Come, Jesus. Make uh, your people your sanctuary. Give them your Holy Spirit, I pray you in Jesus' name. And those who have your spirit. But they need a greater measure of the Holy Ghost. Fill them today. Let their cups flow over in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let them be topped up. Hallelujah in Jesus' name. I thank you, Jesus, for this message again. I pray that we will bring honor to the temple of God. Hallelujah. Not because the temple is itself anything, but it is you who lives in the temple. I pray that we will not defile it that we will present our bodies a holy sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. It's our reasonable service. Help us not to be conformed unto this this world. Let us be renewed in our minds, in our thoughts. Hallelujah, that we may be able to approve the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. The church says, amen, amen, amen.